This is episode number 111 of the Life, Strength, and Health podcast. I'm Kim and I'm joined with Jamal. Greetings, everyone. And uh, a blessing. Yes. And thank you for joining us this week. This is part two of our interview with Lisa Henderson-Jack. And the title of the episode is The Fifth Vital Sign. And we're talking about what that is and diving into her new book that she released, which the title was uh, The Fifth Vital Sign, Master Your Cycles and Optimize Your Fertility. You know, it was a great interview, so much information. And as we did with our first time that Lisa was on the podcast, we decided to break up the episode into two pieces so you can fully digest the information that was shared. So this is part two of that interview. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, uh, just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash 110 and make sure you listen to that episode. This week's testimonial is from JC. And JC says, I needed a complete reset. My stress and hormones were making me feel completely run down. Life, Strength, and Health helped me redefine my stress management, make better food choices, and add herbs to help me reset. I have renewed energy and a commitment to my self-care. I lost 12 pounds in the process. Wish I found them so much sooner. Thank you, JC, for those kind words. And we wish you you much health success. This week's Organic Food for Thought is on pre-diabetes. Prediabetes is a condition defined as having blood glucose levels above normal, but below the defined threshold of diabetes. It's considered to be an at-risk state, which chances of developing diabetes. Without intervention, people with prediabetes are likely to become type 2 diabetics within 10 years. For people with prediabetes, the long-term damage to heart and circulatory system that is associated with diabetes may have started already. Prediabetes is not a new condition. It's a new name for a disorder that doctors have known about for a long time. A prediabetes diagnosis is a clear way of explaining that a person has higher than normal blood glucose levels and is in danger of developing diabetes, plus at a higher risk of chronic kidney disease and heart disease. When people understand that they're prediabetic, they're more likely to make lifestyle changes that can reduce their risk of developing type 2 diabetes which is why noticing prediabetes symptoms is vital. People with prediabetes don't process glucose properly, which causes sugar to build up in the bloodstream instead of fueling the cells that make up the muscles and other tissues. Most of the glucose in your body comes from the foods you eat, especially sugary foods and simple carbohydrates. During digestion, the sugar from these foods enters your bloodstream. Then, with the help of insulin, sugar enters the body's cells where it's utilized as a source of energy. The hormone insulin is responsible for lowering the amount of sugar in your bloodstream. As your blood sugar level drops, so does the secretion of insulin from your pancreas. For people with prediabetes, this process does not work properly. Sugar is not used to fuel your cells. Instead, it builds up in your bloodstream because the pancreas doesn't make enough insulin or your cells become resistant to the action of insulin. Yeah, I think this is a really good uh, food for thought because uh, we live in a time where we're over sugared. Mm -hmm. Uh, We consume too much sugar. A lot of times when our clients come in and we ask them, uh, do you you know, consume a lot of sugar or crave a lot of sugar, a lot of times they'll say no. Uh, But then once we uh, 
talk a little bit more, come to find out they, they eat a lot of bread, right. they eat a lot of rice. In some cases, they eat a lot of fruit. And it's really about what turns into sugar. Obviously, white sugar is the pure, you know, pure sugar. Right. You're just taking it right in. But foods uh, turn into sugar as well. So uh, we eat a lot of sugar in our diet, whether it's coming from juice, whether it's coming from natural sources like fruit, uh, breads, rice, uh, and other complex carbohydrates. Um, we're over-sugared, so we're constantly, constantly raising our blood sugar levels, and our body has to constantly produce this insulin to bring it down. And your body can become resistant to the insulin if it's always producing um, insulin. Mm-hmm. So uh, on your journey of, of bettering your health and taking your health to the next level, one of the best things that you can do is to significantly reduce the amount of things that you consume that actually turn into sugar, especially in, in uh, today's lifestyle. Like most mm-hmm. people are not active anymore. Most people are sitting down most of the time. So we don't need all of that sugar to burn for for energy because we're we're sitting most of the time and we're not as active. You don't need as much sugar. So uh, if you're more active, like, for example, if you're a an athlete, mm-hmm. you know, especially a professional athlete, obviously you're going to need to consume more uh, things that convert yeah, into sugar. Exactly. Yeah. But if you're not very active, mm-hmm. you need to minimize the amount of sugar that you have in your diet. So I think that uh, that's a really good area to start. Begin to reduce the amount of added sugar. Mm-hmm. I would try to reduce that as much as possible. But then the things that turn into sugar, we're talking about carbs and complex carbs. Um, you really want to begin to reduce those as well. I think we get in trouble with the the, the so-called food pyramid where they're telling you to have, I, I think it's like six to eight servings of, of like carbohydrates daily, mm-hmm. right? That That's a lot. That's a lot of, of, uh, of carbohydrates. And I would definitely bring bring that down to, to more like two. <laughs> and, e- and even fruit. Yeah. Because I think that's the misconception. Yeah. People think fruit is healthy, but it also depends on where you're at with your health. Exactly. So too much fruit, that's too much sugar as well. Even yeah. if it's more of a, it's not white processed sugar. If you are, uh, you know, pre-diabetic or if you have high blood sugar levels, you have to be mindful of the fruit and maybe yeah. lean more towards berries or kind of eliminating fruit for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you raise a good point with the fruit because we have a lot of uh, people that will stop with the processed sugars, but then they'll do all of the natural sugars. So they, they trade one sweet tooth for another. Right. So now it's just like, I'm going to have a bunch of bananas and apples and all of these things instead of having the processed fruit. It is better But overall, it's not necessarily better for you because I think the biggest problem with that is technology, Mm -hmm. because like if if we didn't have the technology to get fruit all year round, at at some point it would stop. So Mm -hmm. you gorge yourself all summer with fruit. If you did that, then come the fall, there's no more fruit available and your body can reset. It can take a break. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But but we don't have that. So now we can just eat 
these you know varieties all year long because it comes frozen yeah it comes, it's it's readily available and our bodies don't get a break from it mm-hmm. so we over sugar ourselves so that that's a huge uh, huge place to start beginning to cut back on your sugar intake right yeah definitely So now let's segue into this week's episode. And as I mentioned, this is part two of our interview with Lisa Henderson-Jack discussing the fifth vital sign. And so without further ado, let's dive into it. So when we look at the body from from a uh, holistic perspective, um, it, it speaks it can speak to you in so many different ways and it can really uh, tell you a story. Uh, so my question is, when you're when you're tracking the um, the overall cycle and certain indicators uh, let let you know uh, a woman's health, uh, what are some of those what are some of the things that it can reveal? And, and also, does it reveal any um, major, uh, you know, health challenges that um, that that we all experience? Um, does it give any indicators so that you may start looking at something early and can make uh, adjustments and changes before it turns into major problems? Um, yes, <laughs> that's a really good question. I would say that one of the challenges, it's kind of like one of the analogies I use in the book is um, one of my colleagues, Dr. Marguerite Duane, so she's an actual MD. And <clears throat> so she would say like, just like any doctor who's trained, you know, can read an electrocardiogram. So that's a report and assessment of your heart, the electrical activity of your heart, if you mm-hmm. have concerns about potential heart attack. Um, any trained fertility awareness professional should be able to look at your chart and identify if there could be issues. So the first thing is to say that um, you would a, a woman who doesn't ha- have a background wouldn't necessarily know what it could mean, but she could certainly identify that there's something wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples, though, in things that my clients have discovered through charting. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I talk about as much as I can on the podcast with my clients is that um, cervical dysplasia, abnormal cervical cells, is, is something that's really common. And I didn't really realize how common it was until I started working with women one-on-one. Um, cervical dysplasia, basically the growth of abnormal cells on your cervix, uh, is associated with long-term birth control use, which is interesting. Long-term birth control use um, depletes your folate levels, among a lot of other nutrients that are depleted. And uh, there's the, the health of your cervix is inextricably linked with our folate production. So there's this really clear link in the literature with the pill, long-term use, depletion of folate, and an increased susceptibility to develop a persistent HPV infection, which is, um, it just, it, it, the HPV is like the flu. So if you've ever had sex with another human, you've probably been exposed to it, mm-hmm. but as women, we have immune systems. Everyone has immune systems. So we're typically able to fight it off. But the pill makes us less likely to fall up, uh, fight it off. So mm-hmm. to kind of that's like the background. So how this can show up in the menstrual cycle um, when women are charting. So I teach charting in a specific way where you wipe yourself when you know before and after you go to the bathroom and you look at the toilet paper. You kind of see how it feels and you're checking to see what you know if you see mucus and what color is it and all that kind of stuff. So we're looking at it a bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you would never know unless someone told you to look for it, 
is that women with cervical uh, dysplasia, when they're wiping themselves, so like if you were to go to the bathroom and wipe yourself like before you actually go pee, um, women with dysplasia will often have a wetness that's consistently there. Um, and depending on how far it has progressed, I've worked with women who describe it as though at certain times of their cycle, and so this is not when they're ovulating, it can happen whenever, which is one of the signs to look for. Um, but women who will report like, oh, I feel this gushing. It's like mm. there's water gushing out of me. Mm. Um, but there's just this consistent like wetness because the cervix is releasing this discharge. It's not cervical mucus. It's not related to ovulation. It happens throughout the cycle. So I've supported a number of women through this very subtle observation to identify the development of abnormal cells very early. Mm. because often that wetness, that consistent wetness is there before the test even turns positive. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's one example where you could literally identify abnormal cervical cells through charting. Yeah. Like if, if, if someone teaches you how to do that. Um, a few other examples that come to mind of things that you could pick up. There was one example that I, that I used in the book. It's not funny, so I shouldn't be, Laughing, but I just, it's one of those like shake your head. So it's like, what is going on? So there was a woman who had, she had some degree of bleeding every single day, what? every day. Uh-huh. And she went to her doctor and they were like, well, you know, it's, it's normal or whatever. Wow. And, and she kept pushing and eventually got an ultrasound maybe six months later. Wow. And it turned out that she had uterine cancer. Wow. Like that is. I mean, that is an example, but this is why we have to, again, look at the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, understand what normal looks like and appreciate that. No, bleeding every day is absolutely not normal. Bleeding, like if you have a cycle occasionally where you have like a little spotting around ovulation, that is not uncommon. But like we have to have this appreciation for the cycle to recognize, no, 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 this is important stuff. Right. Um, so I mean, I could I could go on. I've got all kinds of examples, but I'll leave it there. If you want me to give you more, I can certainly pull up a couple more. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was great, and that that answered the question uh, perfectly. Uh, one of the other things that you touched on was uh, just nutrition factors and how that can um, influence in a positive way and in a negative way. Um, and again, there's a lot of uh, controversy out there as far as uh, you know what to eat. Uh, what are the, the best uh, diets uh, to help with uh, uh, your cycle? Can you uh, talk about that uh, a bit? Like how can your diet influence your cycle in a positive and a negative way? Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, because I'm focusing on fertility mm-hmm. and my work, I'm typically working with women of reproductive age, some of whom are not trying to conceive and they just want they want to feel good Mm -hmm. they want healthy cycles they want optimal hormone production and other women are specifically trying to get pregnant so they're trying to often get their cycles back after they've been on birth control for a while and just trying to get the hormones to develop Um, so there's a lot of different diets out there this is a really interesting time in in human history I feel like when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s the television told us what to eat and we didn't really question it we just Mm -hmm. did it so the television told us to eat margarine we ate margarine (laughs) Um, you know what I mean Um, and this was before the internet before anyone with a voice could go and tell you what to eat so now we've got all these different types of diets and styles of eating, right. and it can be really confusing. Um, when it comes to diets in general, 
I think I would hesitate at the thought that there's one diet for everybody right, at right. every point in your life. So if anything to take from this, because I can't tell people, you know, how to eat, but it would be that there's different stages of our life that require different things. Right. And women are not small men. Right. So the certain diets that might help. So for example, if a person is dealing with a, an illness, if a person is dealing with cancer, you know, the type of diet that that person might need to eat to deal with cancer is not the same type of diet that one would necessarily eat when they're trying to have babies. Right. right. Yeah. So part of it would be trying to understand what unique and specific needs that your body might have at that particular point. So your child, when they're, you know, growing rapidly, doubling in size, mm-hmm. will have different needs, right? Then we would, you know what I mean? So it's, I think part of it is just to try to recognize, like, there's no, like, one, just this is at, for everybody should eat this way. Right. I, that's not a real thing. Um, and also, if you're detoxifying, if you're focusing on getting rid of heavy metals and, you know, a lot of us are trying to be really clean and um, dealing with the realization of how horrible factory farms are and mm-hmm. all the stuff in our food. So, again, if you're detoxifying, if you're doing a specific thing for a specific reason, again, that might not be the optimal way to eat when you're trying to boost your hormone levels. Right. So yeah. At the most basic level, we have to understand how our hormones are made. Um, so our main ovarian hormones, you know, estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, um, our other steroid hormones like cortisol and even vitamin D. So those are steroid hormones. Um, we make steroid hormones from cholesterol. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you can pull up a textbook, <laughs> Google it. There's a chart and you can see how cholesterol is at the top. And then our body um, transforms that into prenalone. And- yes. All of these different hormones are made directly from it. And cholesterol, we don't get cholesterol from avocados and coconut mm-hmm. oil. Cholesterol only comes from animal foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a hard kind of realization that yeah. is um, literally like in order. And our bodies can make some cholesterol, but it, that puts an additional strain on our liver if we're not necessarily consuming any Um <clears throat> So I think that's kind of the first step. If you're wanting to um, support hormonal production, you're wanting to support ovarian function, and you're wanting to make sure that you've got adequate estrogen and progesterone throughout your cycle, the first thing just to know is how the hormones are made and where they're made from. Um, And then just in terms of having an appreciation, understanding of, um, we can even talk about like, what what things could interfere with the cycle. So I mentioned, you know, inflammation, it's if we can get as close. So for me, I come from kind of an ancestral perspective. I'm always asking these annoying questions like, well, you know, when my grandma (laughs) was doing, or my great grandma in the West Indies, like there was no whole foods. Like how did all of these people, um, how did they manage to have healthy kids and all this kind of stuff back then? So when you look at ancestral practices, the types of foods that they specifically ate, when they were trying to conceive and you look at the nutrients in those foods and compare them to what our body needs. um, It it really sheds a lot of light about what we need to consume in order to have healthy fertility. So um, from the most basic level, I mean, we want to kind of go back to um, foods that are natural foods that you can put on a plate and we all know what they are like vegetables, um, animal foods Mm -hmm. and, um, but again, looking at where they come from, looking at how they're produced. If you have a, a feedlot cow, 
that's eating genetically modified grain. Cows are supposed to eat grass. Right. Um, when you look at the, so again, you can look at the research and it shows that when the cows eat the grains, um, grains themselves create meat that's more inflammatory. So it causes inflammation in those animals. So the actual meat, when they test it, has a, a completely thrown off ratio. Um, we want to try to eat as close to like a one-to-one balance of omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids as we can. Yes. Um, the cows that eat all the grains have a, a highly inflammatory um, profile, much higher in omega-6. I remember Dr. Oz was kind of the first one to talk about that. Mm. Um, and then the milk that those cows produce, highly inflammatory. So it's just something to, to think about. Like, it, it's not necessarily financially feasible for everybody to kind of go and eat everything organic and find a farmer. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's something to be cognizant of just to think about where food is coming from. Is it, you know, sprayed with pesticides? How is this working out? And there are specific foods that we can focus on that contain high, you know, nutrition for fertility. Often it's not what people want to hear. I talk about liver a lot because liver is high in basically all of the nutrients that we need to support healthy fertility um, for normal sperm and egg development. Um, So for example, liver is high in vitamin B12, like all B vitamins, vitamin B12, vitamin B6 is high in iron, vitamin A, which is essential for hormone development and normal egg and sperm development. Um, Choline and folate, we know know how important folate is for fetal development. Choline works synergistically with folate um, to ensure normal neural tube development. And really, we could go on and on. Fish is a great source of omega-3 fatty acids to kind of like balance out some of the inflammation that, you know, um, we're trying to have. And it's associated with an improvement in hormonal health. And I mean, I could could go on, but I feel like just having a sense of what we need to build hormones and to support healthy cycles and for those who are trying to conceive, what is what does the research say about what babies like what we need to build a healthy baby and it's often different to what we're seeing um on the internet right, right. yeah com- completely different um thanks for saying that i mean you pretty much uh said it perfectly that you know at different stages of of your life and what it is that you're trying to do the diet should should look differently mm. and and right now uh diets that really detoxify the body is is what's popular and uh people will pretty much do that for everything like under every occasion they that's their go-to thing but you know what you're saying is that if you're trying to work on fertility that your diet is going to look completely different and uh I was actually going to ask you for for your top 3 what would be your top three fertility foods you you said uh liver you mentioned fish what would be your your third one um, let me think. My top three fertility foods. Yeah, liver is definitely at the top. Fish would definitely be number two. Um, and I suppose the third, I'm trying to think. It's hard to narrow it down. But I guess I would just say, um, I suppose like real unprocessed foods. I could put eggs. Eggs is a good, mm. if you can tolerate eggs. Yeah. Um, and I would, I, so... And so I would sneak in, like, for a person who can tolerate dairy. So if you can tolerate dairy, okay. then I would say full-fat dairy. Mm. So there's a lot of, um, I mean, we went through the, the 80s and 90s of the anti-fat. You know, we're, yeah. we're being told that fat is bad and 
drinking skim milk and all that kind of stuff. So if you're consuming dairy, consume the full fat. There's research that shows that women who have issues with ovulation, there was a study where they um, they had like 18,000 women um, and they looked at the effect of diet on ovulation. And it was the women who consumed low-fat dairy yeah. that were at a higher risk of ovulatory infertility. So there was a correlation between consuming the fat. Um, so I suppose it'd be those. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. We got, you're right about the 80s just getting slammed so hard with the anti-fat movement. It seems like we still haven't recovered from that. And uh, it's just very recently that fats are making a comeback in a sense. More people are starting to talk about the importance of them, even though mainstream-wise it's still looked at as a bad thing. Uh, how important are fats when it comes to uh, fertility? And when we when we talk about fats, what, what fats uh, are best? Well, I mean, as I mentioned, all of our steroid hormones are basically directly derived from cholesterol. Yeah. So... One of the things that I'll say is because I'm always focused on the menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And so in every client interaction that I have, the chart is front and center. Um, your menstrual cycle will give you the answer. So obviously, Jamal, you don't have a menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um but for, for women, one of the great things is that if your diet is truly sustaining you and it's truly meeting all of your requirements, you would expect your cycle to fall within those normal range and parameters. And so um, for for me, I, I often don't have to say a whole lot because mm -hmm. we look at the cycle, you know. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so in terms of fat, um, so if you're looking to support your hormone health, again, I would encourage you to source the highest quality of whatever food that you're eating. Mm -hmm. um, but know that even if you can't do everything perfectly, there is still value in, you know, eating conventional products. Mm -hmm. um, so when it comes to fats in particular, animal fats are not bad. Um, right. The key would be just looking, you know, if, if possible, if you're able to source um, like local, it doesn't have to be organic, but farmers who let their animals eat grass is helpful. Yeah. Similarly with eggs, um, like if you're able to get free range eggs, typically they're not that much different in price to the regular eggs at the store. Mm -hmm. um, well, where I live, so I can't speak everywhere. Um, so looking at those types, so you know, like animal fats, and um, it kind of depends, like if if you can tolerate dairy, butter, if you happen to live in a place where you can get animal fat for cooking, like if you're able to get pastured lard or tallow or something like that, that's great. It can be really terrifying after all the years of being told <laughs> that it's going to, you know, um, but it's just something to consider. Um, in addition to trying to, you know, incorporate animal fats, um, looking at fish and fish products, like eating fish um, for women who are actively trying to conceive, like considering fish oil. A lot of women already do that. They take fish oil, yeah. um, cod liver oil. I mean, that's like a throwback for right. all of us. Yeah, <laughs> um, serious throwback. <laughs> What's interesting about cod liver and why the elders used to give it to us, um, it's a source of vitamin A. So one of the things that we need when we're trying to, you know, just establish healthy hormones, establish vitamin A as an immune vitamin, it's associated with healthy immune systems. Yeah. It's, it's crucial for fertility, for pregnancy, and I will say it again, for male sperm development. Um, mm. 
So there's a reason the elders were giving us cod liver oil. So, you know, but just thinking of ways to incorporate omega-3 fats. And it's important to note that there's a difference between the omega-3 fats that we get from fish, like in, like animals, versus the omega-3 that we get in flax seeds right. and chia seeds. So there's a lot of research to show that in order for us to simulate that omega-3 fatty acid and like put it in our brain and our baby's brain and for it to have the anti-inflammatory effects, our body, when we're getting, um, when we're getting it from the animal foods, it is already in the form that we can easily assimilate. When we're getting it from flax seeds, it's in the form that we would have to actually convert. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of us have a very limited ability to convert. Um, so you wouldn't be getting the same level of omega-3s from uh, the plant-based alternatives mm-hmm. unless you're taking a supplement like a microalgae micro oil supplement. Um, so it's just important to note as well that it's different when right. it comes from like this, particularly the omega-3s because the way that um, flax seeds and chia seeds are marketed <laughs> would make you think that it's the same right. as what you get from fish. But it is not. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think this is great education and uh, we, we definitely try to spread the word as well and, and, and make it more common and help people to be more comfortable with, um, you know, having this level of conversation because, you know, in the climate that we're in now, you know, anything animal is the devil in a sense, you know, like um, if you if you consume it, <laughs> if you consume it, it's going to hurt you. So people are like almost afraid now to have it and mentally they think that they're causing themselves uh, harm. So we, we definitely want to try to educate people and make them feel more comfortable and let them know that if you're eating high source um, foods, you're eating the right foods in the right ways that is going to bring health to your body. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there that, you know, right now where they're at in, in, um, in their growth, um, they are adamant against it, right? So in, in those, in those cases, what suggestions would you make for them? Would they just be on, you know, a, a just high kind of vegetable fats, things like avocados and, and, uh, you know, nuts and oils? Obviously, we would want them to consider at least supplementing with, like you said, fish oil and things like that. But for those who are adamant that they want to do this uh, from animal from, free, yeah, animal free. Mm-hmm. What uh, what are some things that, you know, we could suggest to, to help them al- along the way? Well, I mean, again, it depends on where that person is in their life. Yeah. So if somebody is um, past the reproductive age mm-hmm. and they're just looking to be healthy it's, it's a different conversation right than absolutely if i'm talking to a woman that's actively trying to get pregnant right yes. now yes yeah yeah we're talking about um, yes. yeah so it, it, that's the first thing to say because it's so controversial even to talk about vegetarian and vegan diets yeah. i find that every time i kind of try to stay steer away from the controversy <laughs> but every now and then i like dive right into it right. um so the first question would be like, where is this person at in their own personal journey right now? And why is like, why are they concerned about the diet? So mm-hmm. if we're talking about a woman who's concerned about her menstrual cycle, if she's just wanting to optimize her cycles for health, but she's not trying to conceive or she doesn't plan to have children. Um, I mean, 
then it might be a different conversation for her versus someone who's actually struggling to get pregnant. Right. Um, one of the things I think that is helpful to do is to, you know, read as much about it as possible. And um, if you are like, how do I say this? If you go online, you can find all like as much advice to support your argument as mm-hmm. to oppose it. Right. Um, so it's helpful to look for evidence-based sources who are looking at the research and not just supporting your own perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that's first of all, because a lot of the information that's coming out about what to eat and how to live comes from older men who are not in like women who are not in, like you see what i'm saying like it's a different diet when you're like 60 and you're a man versus right. when you're like 25 and trying to have a baby so you have to really question the, the resource um because in, in in there's something to be said for like you're not even like trying to have kids so mm-hmm. this diet <laughs> is not necessarily optimal for women who are actively doing that so for a woman who's in that stage, she wants to optimize her cycle. She's actively trying to conceive and, and maybe she's having trouble. Maybe she's not, or maybe her menstrual cycles aren't doing, aren't the way that they're supposed to be. That's the first thing. The first thing from my, my very unique perspective is to look at the cycle. Mm. Um, look at the parameters we talked about. Is your period like one day? Mm. Are you ovulating? Is your ovulation really delayed? Is your luteal phase like the second half? Like if you're tracking your ovulation, are you getting your period about 12 days after at least? Mm-hmm. Or is it coming early? Are you spotting? Um, so really, are you producing cervical mucus? So really looking at the cycle, first of all, because if, if you're not, so some of the diets, so for instance, like some of the diets don't necessarily support optimal hormone production because mm-hmm. you're not giving your body any animal fat mm-hmm. and you need animal fat to produce hormones. So some of these diets would be associated then with kind of a lower hormone profile. Mm -hmm. So if you see signs of that, that's just, you just have to be aware that it could be related. I think that's the first thing because I can't tell anybody what to eat. You have to just be aware that the diet can affect your hormones and your cycle um, and just know that. The second thing, if you're really, if you're trying to conceive, it would be a good idea to have a consultation with your doctor, have a consultation with uh, a functional doctor, someone who is looking at the root cause and have a full assessment. So look at all of your nutrient levels, like look at your zinc levels. When you consume a diet that does not contain any animal foods, you're more likely you're at a greater risk of becoming deficient in certain nutrients, including vitamin A, zinc, um, vitamin B12. And a lot of people know this. So if you're an experienced vegetarian, if you're you know aware of all of this, then you might already know. But it's a good idea to just have your levels tested. Test your vitamin D, test your vitamin B12, test your vitamin A. Um, uh, just you know, make sure and know where the diet is is um, know where there's holes in the diet mm-hmm. because um, especially for women who are trying to conceive uh, as more research comes out as more nutritionists and doctors and naturopaths as more of us come to this table and, and start this conversation it's important just to question the guidelines to question what you're being told there's research that shows that even if you supplement perfect to the guidelines that you may still end up deficient because um, supplementation doesn't necessarily replace food Mm -hmm. it helps and it can help fill the gaps but supplementation alone you can't rely on supplementation alone to get optimal levels of all nutrients 
because at the end of the day, we don't know everything. You know, we don't know all of the nutritive cofactors in food. Right. We, we're still learning as, as human beings. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, pay attention to the cycle. Make sure to get yourself tested so that you know where you are deficient. Um, you know, do your best to supplement. But if the supplement falls short, if the cycles aren't moving, if you're not getting the results that you want, if you're experiencing other health issues that are seem unrelated and you're not sure what's going on, like underlying infections or gut problems or, you know, all kinds of other stuff is going on, then at some point it's important just to ask, could it be related to what I'm eating? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's a, a, a perfect answer. Um, just women paying attention and charting and just really seeing uh, you know what what that's saying, and that's going to tell them a lot on if what they're doing is is uh, working or if it isn't working. Especially when they you know go to the doctors, they get their levels uh, tested and things like that. The proof is in the pudding, mm -hmm. um, in a sense. Uh, one of the things that we're talking about is the the charting. And for those who didn't listen to the to our first couple podcasts with you. Can you just uh, briefly kind of explain the uh, fertility awareness method for, for, for women? Yes. Um, so basically, the fertility awareness method is a way to track and understand your menstrual cycle. In the menstrual cycle, from a scientific perspective, there are only six days um, when you are actually fertile. And so the reason for that is because you produce cervical mucus, which we've talked about a number of times, but we care about cervical mucus because it can keep sperm alive for up to five days. So essentially, um, it, when you look at the research, cervical mucus has been shown to keep sperm alive for anywhere from three to five days. And so basically, you're fertile for that window of the up to five days that your mucus can keep the sperm alive for, plus the day of ovulation, because ovulation only happens on one day of the cycle. Um, so essentially, my, one of the examples I've been sharing is like, you could have sex with your partner on Monday, unprotected sex, when you saw mucus. So you saw mucus on Monday and you have sex, it's wonderful. And then your partner goes off to like Japan or something on business. Um, and then you don't ovulate till Friday, but you actually get pregnant on Friday um, because the sperm from the sex you had on Monday is still hanging out in your cervix, having a party, mm -hmm. high-fiving each other and waiting <laughs> until ovulation. This is a real thing. Um, yeah. And there's lots of like science behind it. Um, so first of all, that's just to give you the sense of like, why is mucus important? How do you tell when a woman is fertile in her cycle, etc.? So essentially, fertility awareness allows you to identify which days of your cycle are fertile and help you to figure out how to confirm that you've ovulated so that you can use that information however you want. So some women learn that information and they want to use it as a birth control method. So if we can understand and identify which days of the cycle are fertile, you know, learn to chart in a specific method. So I teach the justice method. There's lots of different fertility awareness-based methods that are developed and designed around these principles. You add a buffer period. This has been tested. Um, I teach a version of the symptothermal method, which is essentially the mucus. You check your cervical position and you also take your temperature. And between those three signs, you can identify the fertile window and confirm when ovulation has happened. And it's up to 99.4% effective when used correctly. So there is, again, research behind it. Because a lot of people hear this stuff and they think, oh, it's a rhythm method. This doesn't work. It's not 
the same as the rhythm method yeah. because the rhythm method involved like you know taking an average so you chart your cycles for a few months and then you take an average and you kind of say okay usually ovulate on this day or whatever fertility awareness is different because you're actually checking on a daily basis and you're identifying which days are fertile and which days are not. And then, you know, so if you're using it for birth control, you're avoiding unprotected sex during your fertile window. And then on the flip side, a lot of women discover fertility awareness when they're trying to get pregnant and they realize like, wait a minute, I'm not fertile every day. I've been having sex every other day for like three months and this isn't working. Right. So often women discover it then when it's like, wait a minute, there's more to this than I thought. How do right. I time sex correctly? Mm. So um, it helps you to time sex correctly. Because um, you know exactly when um, the fertile window is as you approach ovulation. And then, as we've been talking about throughout the episode, some women just want to learn more about their bodies and they want to track their cycles to have an understanding of how it could be related to their health. And of course, there's a combination of, of those three that, that we, women can kind of track. So I know we covered, um, we covered a lot and I, I know you have a new book out. Is everything that we covered... Uh, in your new book, can you tell us a little bit about it and, and everything that uh, women can learn? Really, everyone can learn from it? Um, well, thank you for that. And yes, all of the topics that we covered are covered in the book. It's a really extensive resource. Um, when I wrote it, my intention was, uh, I mean, obviously, these are important topics and important conversations to have. Um, about five years ago, I started the Fertility Friday podcast. And really, it, it, it started because I had been charting my cycles and teaching women to chart for a really long time by then. And when I got pregnant with my eldest son, I started to kind of realize like, wow, there's so many women who are struggling to conceive. And even though I had known this information for so many years, the average woman still has no idea how her bodies work or how her cycles work. Mm -hmm. So even after doing the podcast, I felt like I needed like a physical... <laughs> thing. I felt like I needed to be able to put the information in one place so that women could have access to it. And I didn't want to add another opinion piece to the world. So I did my due diligence and I um, corroborated the information with the scientific evidence. So um, I, the book is heavily cited. So for anyone who's like an egghead, kind of like I am, and really doesn't want to believe what I say, because you, you shouldn't really mm -hmm. you should find out for yourself. So um, I wanted to make that accessible. So, you know, everything that we talked about today, I've been referring to different studies and things like that. It's cited in the book mm -hmm. and it takes you through the understanding of the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, how it's connected to health, the different phases of the cycle, your period, your mucus, what does a normal cycle look like, all of that. It also takes you into um, three of the most common issues that can interfere with the menstrual cycle, namely thyroid disorders, polycystic ovary syndrome. We spoke about hypothalamic amenorrhea. There's other, you know, um, topics that are discussed in there. I have a, you know, a chapter extensively on diet to, again, share the research about what has been shown to support hormonal health and yeah. fertility. And um, I also, I talk about the birth control pill. <laughs> I have two chapters where I... <laughs> Type into that research, which is yeah. a whole other, a whole other can of worms. Yeah, uh, yes. So there's a lot, there's a lot in there. It's really eye-opening, especially for anyone who has never heard this before. And so, for any woman who's listening, who's just like, "What is going on? How could I be, you know, in my 20s or 30s, and I've never, or 40s, and I've never heard this before? You're not alone." And I felt the same way when I discovered it, except that I was 18. So um, I've had a lot of time to process it. And obviously, I'm still pissed off. So mm -hmm. the book is a positive way to channel those feelings. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
And and how can uh, how can everyone get your your book? Uh, so it's available on Amazon. It's available in ebook, paperback, and now audio book formats, which is fun. <laughs> Um, and if you can actually listen to the first chapter for free, so you can head over to thefifthidlesignbook.com, all spelled out, and you can download the first chapter for free there. And you can actually get uh, the audiobook for free if you've never used Audible, so right. fertilityfriday.com slash Audible. Um, I know, Kim, you and I, because I'm also always listening to audiobooks, so <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that out. <laughs> And if you're listening to this podcast, probably is good for you too. <laughs> yeah. A question: Did you um, did you read your own book, or did you have someone else read it? Oh, I read it. You missed the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. it was it was an adventure. I was sure. a podcaster. I was a bit like overconfident. I was like, "This is going to be so easy." It turns out I'm a terrible reader, but I have excellent editors, so the book sounds good. Sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine it had to be tough. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's great. That is that. That's great. Um, and for for those who want to actually, you know, work with you directly, uh, what can you give us uh, information for people to contact you? Well, yes, thank you for that. Um, so my main website is fertilityfriday.com. And so you can go there, you can find me, contact um, programs information. I have two main programs at this stage. I have a 10-week group program, which is the most popular program. So um, I, you know, work with a group of women, usually, you know, 10 or so, um, over a period of three months. And we just go into depth and charting and you come out the other side, like perfectly ready and willing and able to use this method for birth control or um, optimize your chances of conceiving. I have a four-month uh, one-on-one program and I also have a course. I, I created a, um, a course. So it's a lot of uh, me talking. It, it's, I, think I, I think it's 24 videos, but it essentially takes you through all of the knowledge about fertility awareness as well as a lot of what we talked about today, but in a lot more depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of lots of options for anyone who's like you know because what I always say is fertility awareness isn't necessarily for every woman. Every woman doesn't necessarily want to chart their cycles as their method of birth control, um, but every woman has the right to know how her cycle works. And for the women for whom this resonates, we're like already out the door. We're just like show this, show me how to do this. <laughs> I want to figure out how to chart my cycles. So right. if that's you, I've got a lot. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That was great. Yeah. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. Thank you. And thank you for so much for having me back. This was a lot of fun and you asked me a lot of great questions. So this was a really great interview. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So that is our conclusion of our interview with Lisa Henderson Jack discussing the fifth vital sign. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode, but most importantly, you receive value from it. And for access to the show notes pages, just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash 111. That's lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash 111. And on there, we're going to list Lisa's contact information, links to um, purchase her book, the Audible book, um, also to access, she mentioned the free chapter that she 
um, is offering. We'll put a link to that as well. Um, and also, it's a great way to find out about our Wellness Center, Life, Strength and Health, and learn about all that we do and how we help people to feel and look their best naturally. Um, and before we go, at the time of this recording, we are in the summer season and um, it's a great time to do a detox. And we offer um, a line of our detoxes called our Elemental Detox Programs, which are seasonal detox bro- programs geared towards um, focusing on various parts of the body depending on the time of year. Um, so to learn more about our detox programs, just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com forward slash detox. And depending on when you're listening to this, and we will have a detox for that season. And um, our detoxes are meant to be done on your own. They range from uh, 14 to well, 7, 14, or 21 days, depending on the time of year. Um, they contained a thorough manual, the products that are required, um, the protocols. And there is also an extensive walkthrough video where Jamal kind of goes through the whole program with you to answer um, any of your questions or concerns. Um, and then you can always reach out to us if you have any questions. Um, so to learn more about our detox programs, just go to lifestrengthandhealth.com for slash detox. So uh, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And until next time, live healthier. Yes. Peace and blessings, everyone. Live healthy.